in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening to Spouting Off. If you're listening live, you're listening on Tuesday, Thursday, and or Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern at WSMN.live. You can do that online, or you can do that if you happen to be living in or around Nashua, New Hampshire, 1590 AM, WSMN, and 95.3 FM. Well, another day, another list of stories that you're not going to believe. (laughs) So I figured I'd compile some for you, just because so many of them come across my desk. You may have just, you know, not seen (laughs) a couple of these stories. And um, it's it's filed under the heading, you're not going to believe this stuff. Uh, some people use another more pejorative word in place of that S word, but you're not going to believe this. So I'm going to throw a few of them at you in this first segment. We have a couple of great guests coming up in this hour. You're not going to want to miss that. We always have our uh, reporter of the week uh, from the Epic Times, so I will tell you about him in a minute. He, is, I mean, in a little bit later in the program, he is a specialist on the Supreme Court. But first, <laughs> okay, so here's the headline Convicted sexual predator sues a mustard company for misleading customers with packet packaging. I kid you not. A convicted sexual predator is representing himself because, after all, he is in prison. He probably, you know, has access to the prison library. He has a lot of time in his hands. Maybe he, you know, is doing enough working out, so he's got enough time on his hands. He's behind bars. Um, in a civil suit, He uh, he's representing himself behind bars. Uh, in a civil suit lodged against a condiment company for false and deceptive advertising and breach of duty of care regarding the labeling of one of their mustard products. David Lettieri, currently incarcerated at the Northeast Ohio Correctional Center, claims that although the ingredients are shown on a mustard packet, Produced by 4-in-1, there is insufficient nutritional information for customers to determine the calories and the carbohydrates in the product. Now, Arya sitting down. He is seeking $450,000 in damages. Meanwhile, Lettieri is awaiting sentencing for enticement of a minor, a charge that carries a mandatory minimum penalty of 10 years, um, and enticing a 13-year-old for sex in a park. Now, the reason I picked this story as number one is uh, rather obvious. We're living in an alternate universe in which law-abiding citizens are being uh, 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 persecuted by certain legal agencies, including the one we talked about this past week, um, Ken Paxton, who, if you didn't see the Tucker Carlson, I'm off on a tangent, if you didn't see Tucker Carlson interviewing Ken Paxton, I strongly urge you to do it. I just, I think, posted it on my website. Very, very important. It unmasks a lot of people in that interview. Oh my, yes it does. But back to our convicted sexual predator who I don't know if he uh, has apologized or held himself accountable for being a sexual predator and preying on a 13-year-old person, doesn't say what gender, for sex in a park, 
but he holds himself out as a moral arbiter and wants $450,000 because mustard packets weren't properly labeled. Could you make this stuff up? I kid you not. Why? Because we're living in a preposterous universe. Now, a preposterous world. Now, there are a lot of people who are smart enough to know how preposterous that is. Not that he isn't entitled to file any sort of lawsuit he wants with all of his free time on the taxpayer dime. That rhymes. But I don't think he's being rehabilitated much if this is what he spends his time doing. Just saying, just saying that that is the, the petty to the ridiculous, the sublime, that is the term, sublime to the ridiculous. Let's look at it as a metaphor for uh, what we're seeing in the propaganda media that simply twists and turns the news for you to care about things that are immaterial, stupid, foolish, and petty, while they change our very country and take away our God-given freedoms. <laughs> Not that we think that that is a problem or anything, you understand. Now here's another one, from the sublime to the ridiculous. Hunter Biden, you've heard that name, sues a former Trump aide over release of private material. Now, uh, you may have heard that this is a little bit out of date because I do believe that his suit was thrown out. But the fact that he filed one is, oh, I don't know, a little hilarious. Hunter Biden's legal team filed a lawsuit against former Trump White House aide Garrett Ziegler over the publication of private photos, emails, and other materials that came from a hard drive allegedly belonging to Hunter Biden. Now, what makes this so much fun, if it weren't so ridiculous and stupid, and it, it's sad, is that this is the very same hard drive and uh, uh, from the computer that Hunter Biden claimed was not his, okay? He claimed again and again, this is not my computer, this isn't my, these aren't my pants, that's what we watch on uh, uh, OP Live, uh, on patrol live, when a criminal gets caught with uh, alleged drugs in his pants and he says, well, these aren't my pants. <laughs> Those aren't my drugs. They were in my pants, but they're not my drugs because they're not my pants, all right? So I'm going to sue Trump's aide for putting out material that I defaulted on. I left at a computer repair store and never ever picked up because possibly, allegedly, I was strung out on cocaine. But now I'm going to sue the guy for putting out the information, which I guess doesn't mean that it's my computer, right? Right? So we're supposed to once again suspend our disbelief. We're supposed to say it allegedly belonged to Hunter Biden, but Hunter can sue somebody for putting out the information that he has just acknowledged is his private information. The reason this is so crazy making is because there are so doggone many stories like that every single day. We see stories of people claiming that men can have babies, that you are mean, terrible, and a transphobic if you do not think that a biological male should steal the dreams of a biological female in her athletic pursuits. Now, mind you, these are the same people, the very same people, who fought and fought and fought for Title IX sports for women. And in one swell foop, I said that on purpose, uh, <laughs> now we are to believe that the same people want to completely destroy women's sports by having men compete. Now, before it was men's sports were sexist, racist, and homophobic for not funding women's sports. But now a man can ruin women's sports as long as he's wearing a dress. 
<laughs> or a female baby bathing suit. You simply cannot make this stuff up. And, you know, we've talked about this a lot. How is it possible for people who claim to be taking the moral high ground uh, and being mad at people for simply saying biological women should compete with biological women? My God, after all, we do try to police people for taking performance-enhancing drugs, but this activist bunch refuses to acknowledge that men and women are biologically different and therefore that's why women, that's why Serena Williams, a tremendously talented retired tennis player, uh, was not pitted against Novak Djokovic. That's why Serena Williams, I think Serena Williams might have had a thing or two to say if she had to play the top male at Wimbledon. But notice, nobody bothered Serena Williams, but it's okay to bother athletic swimmers. It's okay to selectively bother certain women and ruin their athletic dreams because there is no rational thought going on in the propaganda media today. We are simply supposed to go along with stupidity and preposterousness. Is that a word? Preposterous, preposterosity. <laughs> no, I don't think that is a word. Anyway, so that is story number two. And I don't have much time to go into it, and I bet you're glad that rounding out the top three of stupid issues is Joe Biden, who was panicking over the border because his leftist politicians in places like New York and California were screaming. These sanctuary cities were screaming because thousands upon thousands of illegal aliens, completely unvetted, were showing up, upsetting the apple cart, in apple cart that is, in uh, uh, the sanctuary cities of leftist controlled states, right? So what did Joe Biden do? Hilarious, if it weren't so sad. He said, just stay in Texas. <laughs> oh, wait, he's going to close the border around Texas, not the border to the United States. Hilarious if it wouldn't be so sad. This evil radical left, or whoever's directing him, they use humans as weapons. They attacked conservatives for sending them up to Martha's Vineyard, but then they use humans to attack states that they hate for political reasons. So it's okay to use people uh, as weapons in states like Texas, because you hate Texas anyway. And by the way, it didn't, it didn't uh, work for them to get rid of a duly elected attorney general in uh, Texas. I urge you to watch that with uh, Tucker Carlson. Well, that does it for my little rant or my spouting off. We'll be right back with our first guest, I'm spouting off right after this. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Gadoline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life. One of the things that I really like about MyPillow is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've never slept better in my life. What's better than a great night's sleep? Call or go online to take advantage of my best offer ever. For a limited time, when you use your promo code, you can get premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now only $29.98. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep well, America! Call 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM, R-A-M. That's 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. The Reading Foundation provides evaluation and tutorial programs based upon the Orton-Gillingham philosophy of learning, based upon the study of language, how children acquire language, and the mechanisms involved in learning. All the learning pathways of the brain, visual, auditory, 
kinesthetic and tactile are addressed and strengthened to build a strong foundation for the acquisition of reading skills. If you are interested in learning more, please contact the Reading Foundation for more information. The Reading Foundation is at 10 Northern Boulevard, Unit 19, Amherst, New Hampshire, 03031. Or you can email us at readingfoundation underscore rf at yahoo.com. And of course, you can call anytime at 603-882-0992. The Reading Foundation, Amherst, New Hampshire. Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. And now, more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. everyone to Spouting Off. I'm your host, Karen Cataline, and we have a guest ready to come on the air to talk about something that um, I maybe didn't do justice to. Just because it is after 9-11, it's only a few days after 9-11, doesn't mean we can't, shouldn't, and ought to talk about 9-11. Here to talk about it in a new way is longtime media host, commentator, and director of the Good For You Network, Claire Carter. She's created two compelling short-form podcasts about 9-11, especially because this is the 22nd anniversary this year of that appalling and tragic attack on America. The first one is Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, and we'll have her talk about that right now. Claire Carter, welcome to Spouting Off. Good to have you on. Well, good to be here, and thank you so much for caring about the subject. Uh, <sighs> Never Again Should There Be a 9-11 was just posted to YouTube, and it's part of the Good For You Network channel, and we've been getting such an incredible response from people who think it's poignant and powerful, stunning. You can't watch it without choking up, and it means a lot to me, Karen, because a year ago, I was I live in New York. I was in downtown New York for 9-11 in, back in 2001. And listening to the people who get up there, the adults who got up there last year, but especially the children, I was so touched by these kids who did not know a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, but they have been raised to love this relative, this family member. And that was really something. And then this year somebody got up and said, the country and world must never forget and the way we came together. And that was part of why I wanted to write this piece and then make it into a video. There was one gentleman at the end of last year's memorial service. His name is Jimmy, and he was named for an uncle who died that day. And in Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, I say, quoting Jimmy, it should not take a tragedy to unite us because of the dereliction of duty. And so I wanted to honor all those who died, all those who survived, and all those whose lives will never be the same. Huh. Thank you. Dereliction of duty. Whose dereliction of duty are you referring to? Well, you know, something, part of it in doing Never Again Sure They Be a 9-11 was, first of all, to honor those people, especially like the firefighters going up those stairs. They didn't know that they were ever going to come back down again. And yeah. I learned about things watching documentaries that I didn't realize those buildings were built years ago with only three exits. 
and three stairwells. And it was just a question of who had the gall to build buildings that tall with only three stairwells and what can be learned from what happened um, at that particular time. So the piece, though, starts out very personally with a man who calls his wife just to say, I love you. You know, save this message your whole life. He knew he wasn't coming home. All he had was his phone. So I want to give a feeling for what the people who died that day, people who survived that day, went through. And then, to answer your question, looked at what was even in the mainstream media, a Newsweek series um, about the road to 9-11. And there was one piece that was written in terms of that series that after 9-11, no Americans were held accountable. And here's why that's dangerous that, quote, there were abundant signs and warnings that the intelligence community and even the FBI failed to follow up on. And, you know, so what can we learn from all of that is one thing. And two, the one person I did mention is something that Christy Whitman, who was then head of the Environmental Protection Agency, said years later, we did the best with what we knew at the time. And I can appreciate that. But as someone who lived in downtown New York, that smell of what you could call death came into my apartment. Uh-huh. I think it would have been a fair thing just to say, we just don't know. And in exercising caution, they might have said at the time to women who are pregnant, small children, people with respiratory diseases, people, um, you know, old, elderly people that you might want to consider living elsewhere. So I think we need to learn from what happened. Hopefully we are learning those lessons. And some people will say, well, we haven't had a terrorist attack quite like that since. But there are a lot of lessons to learn. And I think it's very important for those people who are still sick and people who have died from 9-11 related illnesses. It's paramount that we learn and paramount that we prevent. Uh, yes, it, it, it most certainly is. Speaking personally, Claire, uh, we're speaking to Claire Carter about her films, Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. Uh, speaking personally, what did you do, and have you had any personal health issues no, because I've of 9-11? No, I've been incredibly fortunate. The only, I went down to the World Trade Center site. I walked down there two months later, and I was only there for two hours. Two hours, that was it. And I wrote down, that's the other piece that I did, Reflections on 9-11. There was a makeshift memorial site, and it was referred to as the Teddy Bear Memorial Site because people had left so many teddy bears behind. But they also left, I think, they poured out their hearts and their heartache in poetry, in cards, a little girl saying, I love you, Daddy, a poem, the writer anonymous, if I had known you were going to be leaving, I would have held you tighter, I would have hugged you more if I had known it was the last time I was going to see you. Mm-hmm. I wrote down what they said because I knew that I wanted to give voice to their mm-hmm. heartache. And so Reflections of 9-11 is a very different kind of piece. It's just reciting some of the things that were left behind on 9-11, I can tell you um, in the two hours that I was there, I did get the World Trade Center call for about two weeks, and that was it. I've been very fortunate. But I also remember, you know, two days later, walking out of my neighborhood and walking back in, and a flatbed truck of rescue workers were coming up the street, and they were all, you know, standing, and people poured out of their homes to give them a standing ovation. We needed to mm. applaud them, and tears were streaming down my face, and they mm. needed the applause. At Christopher Street and West Street in New York City, there was a stand, like 24-7 manned with people who just were there to cheer those people involved in the rescue and recovery. And, um, and I know that on the night of 9-11, when I walked up the street, up 8th Avenue, um, the smell hadn't taken over yet. It hadn't come north. There was an armada of paramedics and vehicles coming in from different states in the Union and emergency vehicles, and I was so deeply moved because they were coming to rescue us, to be there for us, and Uh I don't know the health challenges some of those people have now faced as a result, but, you know, your heart goes out, and you want to say thank you with great gratitude to everybody that was Uh part of the recovery, and I wanted to honor all of those people. Claire, uh, to what do you attribute? It's really sad, uh, sad on so many levels, that America has changed so drastically in the 22 years that this uh, it, it has happened. Not only a lot of court cases that have not gone the way one might think, but also America itself. Um, I remember Glenn Beck, who was never somebody I was, you know, crazy fond of, 
started an organization called the 912 group because he thought how how united and that is not a platitude how how strongly together we were after 9-11 and look what has happened since to what do you attribute that do you have any comments on that well it was interesting nbc news had a report that i looked at a lot of things that were you know written about at the time not just the newsweek article um and they said we were united then and then 20 years later what has happened and it was in doing this piece it was really a plea to please we need to get together we need to solve problems not just about pointing fingers and whatever you have to learn from every mistake from everything that goes wrong you know they say insanity is making the same mistake again and again and that's why it becomes a cliche we have to learn from it but the strength that i've always felt is look what we can do together what people are capable of in times of tragedy in terms of coming together you know as people and i thought about when these children got up there especially on september 11th to talk about their loved ones who they never knew they were taught from the time they were really young about a parent a grandparent an aunt an uncle a cousin a friend they were taught to love and these children it takes a lot to get up there in front of all those strangers and be a child and to read those names and then to say something at the end about your relative and you're just a child you don't remember. So I thought, wouldn't it be wonderful, you know, to pass along that kind of love, you know, and admiration and respect. It starts with families. And um, we do need to remember. And that was why I just quoted you. I wrote down what one of the people, the adults said this time a week ago Monday, the country and world must never forget and the way we came together. The people that were there whose lives were forever changed because a loved one was lost that day or they have a continuing health issue, that's the plea from them. And that was the plea from this man, Jimmy. And I began the piece, Never Again Should There Be a 9-11, which is posted on YouTube, with a picture of what the World Trade Center looked like before 9-11, the top of the building only, and then we zoom in on the clouds, and then it dissolves slowly to a picture of the hallway that day covered with dust. And then at the very end of the piece, it ends very personally with what Jimmy said, his plea to the politicians in terms of coming together and preventing something like this from happening again. The only time you see the building, the entire building, is the new building where the phantom lights, those of us in New York, see those phantom lights once a year for the Twin Towers. And I wanted to go in tight on the phantom lights and slowly dissolve to faces, almost like the angels above, and then more faces and more faces and more faces of people who left us that day. And some of them were so young. They were just starting life. They probably graduated school and they were working, you know, in their 20s even and 30s. So it was that reminder to leave people with that. And then obviously to let the people in charge know who are in charge of keeping us safe and secure to please effectively do your job. Yeah. It seems to fall on deaf ears these days when, uh, well, there's, there's so much corruption in government today. I wonder, going back, you know, we hear a lot of people uh, talk about coming together, coming together, and I don't think a lot of people know how to do that. How, you know, how do you do that? I'm going to throw out something that I think is important. And that is because I see the propaganda media and a good many politicians and unelected bureaucrats going, doing their best to divide us on purpose for political reasons, putting people at each other's throats. One of the things we might be able to do is to reject that, reject this constant harping that America is a racist country. America is a terrible country. It needs to be destroyed. Um, there's su- such broad statements of hatred that what maybe we can do is reject that and go back to, well, what do you think about that? Well, I think what you're referring to, I think it's really sad to come from a place of hate. Um, I wrote this week, um, it was my mom's birthday, and Aww. you know, there's still mm-hmm. a lot She's one of the most exceptional people that I've ever known in my life and very blessed. 
I receive her love from above now, but I wrote in her honor, and I just did it this week. And I wrote about life lessons learned from my mother. And people, I've written that before, and then I wrote a poem in honor of her. And people were really taken by her wisdom. My mother taught me to treat everybody well, everybody, and to get pleasure out of the little things in life, because life is really about the little things. Some people wait for the big thing to come along, and they wait, and they wait, and they wait, and then it comes along, and then it's like, oh, great. And then, like, what next? Mm -hmm. And I learned about good health from my mom. And there's no white pasty bread, you know, in the house. You know, she liked the whole week time. No artificial sweeteners. Anything banned in Britain was banned in our house. But coming from that place of love, so what is her legacy? It's a legacy of love. So I think part of it is what can we maybe agree on? I'll give, I'll throw out something to you, okay? Here. Um, when one reads about fraud, waste, and mismanagement, there was just an editorial, for example, this past week, and I read all the papers, Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, you know, New York Post, you name it. I'm going through the editorials, but they talked about fraud, for example, with state unemployment claims that the federal government says may have run up to $135 billion. When they talk about, for example, fraud with a COVID relief bill that might have been up to $100 billion, everybody should care about fraud, waste, and mismanagement because the way I look at it, that money could be used to prevent, whether it's an act of terrorism, to prevent not just of a building, but let's say to prevent our electric grid from ever going down, whether it's uh -huh. from a cyber attack, a solar storm, you know, a nuclear chip missile. But we should all be able to agree that fraud is not a good idea, you know, yeah. and that you think people would agree that. on that. But uh, yeah. sometimes, you know, you you got to stand up for it. Listen, we're almost out of time. Claire Carter, um, what's different about this, these two movies and where can people see them? Well, Never Again Should There Be a 9-11 is my own person, you know, and sections on 9-11, which you can watch on YouTube, the YouTube channel. Um, it's just based on my own. I was there, you know, it was my neighborhood that was a war zone. And I think I was just very affected by the memorial service every year, by documentaries that I've read. I just wanted to pass along some thoughts. One doesn't have to agree with everything, but it was really with this deciding factor of wanting to bring people together to prevent something like this. It's why I titled it Never Again Should There Be a 9-11. Hopefully on that we can all agree. And whatever we hope. can do uh -huh. to get people to care and to prevent yeah. such a thing from happening again. Okay, real quick. Do you have a... a, a Twitter, YouTube, any way they can find you, Claire Carter? Um, yes, um, the, the Good For You Network, the Good For okay. You Network. Um, you can look that up. But also right now, I would love for people in your audience to go to YouTube and, you know, type in Never Again Should There Be a 9-11 and watch okay. it, you know, and right. watch it and reflect on it and love to get reactions to it. Good enough. Thank you so much, Claire Carter, for joining us here on Spouting Off. Uh, good luck with the film. Thank you for your caring. Take care. Take care. That's Claire Carter. Never again should there be a 9-11. From her mouth to God's ears. When we come back, we'll have a reporter uh, from the Epic Times. Don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. They're not out to tell you the truth of what's happening. They're out to tell you the picture of the world that they represent. The mission of the Epoch Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements and facts, and prevent people from being misled. The Epoch Times is independent, we're not controlled by any special interest, and we never will be. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would ensnare this country in ignorance and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. Subscribe today to our digital edition at theepochtimes.com and join the Americans who are seeking truth and tradition. Read the difference in all your devices. We'd love to have you on board. Are you tired of the same old snacks? Looking for something a little healthier than that bag of chips or candy bar? 
Even your average bag of trail mix these days is little more than peanuts, raisins, and candy-coated chocolate. Not very healthy, is it? Allow me to introduce you to White Mountain Munchies. Made from 100% all-natural ingredients, White Mountain Munchies combines unique flavors with nutritional value that will tingle your taste buds and strengthen and sustain your overall health and wellness. Eating good never tasted so good. From Maggie's Maple Madness to Hannah's Heavenly Harvest, Grayson's Getaway Goodies, and our limited edition Christmas blend, Jacoby's Jolly Jumble, White Mountain Munchies offers nutritious and delicious snacks that the whole family is sure to love. Pick yours up now through our easy-to-use online store at whitemountainmunchies.com. White Mountain Munchies, non-GMO when you're on the go. Hi, it's Karen Cataline. It's been almost a decade since I wrote Fatlash Food Police in the Fear of Thin. It's about my early experiences in child beauty pageants and being put on extreme diets. Remember when that was shocking? Sadly, that seems like child's play compared to what we are watching today when politicians and woke corporations are actually advocating for the sexualization of children. Everyone's children. We're watching a frontal attack on childhood innocence. This is one story, my story. Fat Lash illustrates and explains why good boundaries are essential for kids to grow up healthy. They need their parents to set them, not the government. Get Fat Lash today. It's available in paperback or ebook at Amazon or at my website, KarenCataline.com. Karen Cataline got her parents to name her Karen before she was born, so she could grow up to be a punchline. Now here's more Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Ooh, that sounds like straight from the 60s. <laughs> Oh, welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. I'm your host, Karen Cataline. Been a while since we've spoken to this reporter from the Epic Times. So glad to have him. His name is Matthew Vadum, and he is an award-winning investigative journalist. Uh, Matthew's work is cited, uh, has been cited by Fox News, Weekly Standard, Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and many, many other outlets. He's been on the O'Reilly Factor. Well, you can't do that anymore. <laughs> CBS Evening News, The Daily Show, The Colbert Report, and denounced by Al Sharpton, Oliver Stone, Roseanne Barr, and Keith Olbermann. How cool is that? Welcome, Matthew Vadum from the Epic Times to Spouting Off Hello, once again. Hello, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. Um, I've got to ask you, since uh, I'm not surprised that you were denounced by Al Sharpton, Oliver Stone, and Keith Olbermann, who's pretty hilarious as he's going after Aaron uh, uh, Rodgers, the football player, <laughs> saying that maybe the reason he hurt his uh, Achilles tendon is because he wasn't vaccinated. But what did Roseanne Barr say to denounce you? If you, you know, remember. that's so long ago, I don't even remember. <laughs> I know that Al Sharpton was upset that I wrote a piece for American Thinker saying um, that um, you shouldn't register people to vote in welfare offices. <laughs> uh, you know, I honestly, at the moment, I, I'm getting older. I can't well, remember. Well, that's okay. Forgive Park me for... Denounce me over, but that's back when she was a big leftist, which yeah, she seems she's not to anymore. not be anymore. She is not. You know, you know what they used to say years ago, Matthew, is that a Republican often is a Democrat who's been mugged. And uh, Roseanne Barr, in a sense, was mugged when she spoke out that she supported Donald Trump and they took her show away. Uh, but that being said, you've got a tremendous and tantalizing article here in the Epic Times Headlines, Supreme Court may put administrative state on the chopping block in upcoming term, lawyers say. Tell us about the Chevron deference. Most everyday folks don't have a clue what that is. No, they don't, but it's actually a very important thing. Chevron deference is the idea that if, a, a, if Congress writes um, a statute that is, um, that is unclear, 
that the executive branch, the an executive branch agency, uh, can interpret that statute, and its um, its interpretation of the statute is entitled to deference. It's entitled. Um, it it should be followed. Um, so it allows basically in uh, executive agencies to. Well, to make up to invent laws without without going through the process of lawmaking, Congress is supposed to make the laws, not not um, you know not government agencies. So it puts Isn't a this, lot of power in the hands of bureaucrats, and that's yeah. the problem with it. Isn't this part of the unelected bureaucrats who seem to not care uh, who comes as, and goes in the Oval Office because they seem to be well, yeah, people call it the administrative the state, although, right. you know, you could argue it's also the deep state, but which I think means something slightly different, but it's the administrative state, that there's this fourth branch of government that is unaccountable, um, that was unelected, and that um, uh, decides uh, on its own how... Uh, what what laws are going to what laws what what regulations are going to apply in America, and um, that that is repugnant um, to the idea of um, uh, of a republic where um, lawmakers responsible to the people um, are supposed to be making the are supposed to be making. Um, uh, are supposed to be making the laws that we that we're required to follow. Right. Help us understand one more time in layman's terms what it means the Chevron defense, which deference, excuse me, I don't know, must have happened during a case with Chevron, I guess. Um, in in the most layman terms possible, um, what does that allow? And you seem to believe the. Supreme Court in its upcoming session, which is probably right around the corner, the first Monday in October, I think, uh, might really cut back on their power. Okay, so you want to know about the case itself? Well, just uh, uh, um, nobody knows. You, you said it, but I didn't understand. So what it means is that unelected bureaucrats can make laws based on something called the Chevron deference? Right. There was a so case in 1984 yeah. called, um, which involved the Chevron uh, energy company, the Chevron oil company, right. versus environmentalists, the NRDC, National uh, or Natu Natural Resources Defense Council. Mm -hmm. And uh, it found that um, where uh, the government, where... Uh, where an executive agency is interpreting, uh, if there's an unclear law, if there's some ambiguity in a law, that mm -hmm. the the bureaucrats' interpretation of the ambiguity is gets um, to stand. Is, um, it, it should be followed. Huh. That's it in a nutshell. How do you follow ambiguity? <laughs> Will you please explain that to me? If it's ambiguous, uh, it, then. Well, if if there's something in it, if it's uh, I can't think of an example right now of what you know right. where uh, of an ambiguity of a legal ambiguity, but they do write laws that are uh, uh, are not clear and where um, it's not uh, specific oh. enough, where there's you know a loophole, where there's a reason, where there's something that I is unclear, bureaucrats are allowed to fill in the blank. And, and you know what, what makes that so much of a concern is that that gives an incentive. I'm always trying to think the way they do. It gives uh, shady politicians an incentive to write it ambiguously on purpose so that when the bureaucrats change it exactly the way they want it, uh, they won't have to take responsibility for it. Is that not true? Right, and that—that's what this is. Um, what I thought. The article's talking about a panel discussion where Paul Clement, the former Paul Clement, uh, former Solicitor General of the United States, is saying exactly that. He's saying that because they know that um, um, executive branch agencies are going to um, become are going to come to their aid, 
um, the lawmakers in Congress, half of whom have allies in the administration of the day, you know, depending mm-hmm. on who, which party the president's from, we right. know that they can get what they want from from the government. Um, oh. So they deliberately run, there's an incentive for them to create laws huh. that are that are vague and that give. Uh, bureaucrats and opportunity to you know fill in the blanks as it were exactly and, uh, and make rules i didn't think i understood this but i guess i did um yeah and <laughs> it, it sounds difficult but it's actually not that well, it's difficult not concept. and you know it, it for people to think of an analogy you could a lot of people have said and rightfully so that legalese is purposely confusing so only lawyers understand it, and you need to pay them in order to write something in legalese. They have their That's own the, little language right. so that only they are the final arbiters of, they write the language, and then you have to pay them to write it, right? Right. This has been a complaint of, you know, for centuries yes. against lawyers, that they speak yes. their own language, that they use a legal argot or a legal jargon that other it's people a job don't, protection. It's impenetrable, and that, that you got to pay them <laughs> yeah. to, to find out what it means. You know, our framers, uh, who wrote beautifully, but plain-speaking politicians uh, was once upon a time revered, you know, to have people who, who spoke plainly, where people could understand. Now you have an incentive for people not to understand, so they'll throw up their hands and they'll go along and they'll never put up any kind of a fuss. Possibly, right? Because they they, they don't want to get involved and they you know yeah. they think it's too complicated. But mm-hmm. um, you know the Supreme Court may may uh, uh, you know may go may go the other way and start to rein in the so-called Chevron deference. Um, in the upcoming term because of a case called Loper Bright Enterprises versus Raimondo. Uh And this is is about um, the commerce, one of the agencies within the Commerce Department made a rule about fisheries and said, if you, uh, you know, you want to go in the Atlantic uh, herring fishery, because there's so many rules regarding, uh, uh, you know, taking Atlantic, uh, we're taking herring, the fish. Uh, we need to put federal monitors, inspectors on, on your fishing boats to make sure that hmm. uh, you're complying. Hmm. And not only do you have to allow these inspectors to be on the fishing boat when you fish, but you have to pay their salaries. And the thing is, uh. no law was ever specifically passed by Congress saying saying that's the case, but a regulation was issued by one of the agencies at the U.S. Department of Commerce saying they had to do this. So the fishing uh, companies are fighting back, saying nobody ever passed the law saying we had to do this. We don't have to do it. And And the Supreme Supreme Court Court took this case and will rule on it. Is that right? We'll take this case and we'll ask them to rule on it about the regulation that was issued saying right. there got to be inspectors on their boats and the observers uh-huh. on their boats and you got to pay their salaries which you know in the case of a lot of small fishing companies can eat up 20% of their their annual budget to, you know just to have to, to pay for another them. incentive to go after small businesses and small fisheries and it's got the added bonus of being a case that might uh, act as a precedent Am I right? That it it may it may you know I don't I don't think we should always think the Supreme Court is going to save us because even yeah. when it's supposedly conservative as it is right now, there's yeah. a lot of areas where you know the justices don't have the courage to do the right thing. Right, we've so, talked about that, you and I. Uh, are you right. optimistic about this one? What do you think? Um, I'm. <laughs> they, I don't know if they're going to wipe away the Chevron doctrine, but I'm. I think they may. I think there's a good chance they may curb it somehow. How they would do that, I'm not really sure. They might limit how they might limit its applicability. They might say you can't always do it, or you can only do it in certain circumstances. Uh huh. Um, so, well, yeah, I'm. I'm, I'm uh, 
mildly you're very optimistic careful. that the Supreme Court's going to do the right thing. You're very circumspect, which is good. We have about three minutes, Matthew. What other cases, really hot cases, do you see being decided in this new session real quickly? Give us a heads up. Well, there's a case about um, whether uh, someone with a domestic violence restraining order against him um, uh, is entitled to uh, is entitled to possess a gun. You know, does he temporarily forfeit his Second Amendment rights? Uh-huh. And I think that that that's an important case. Um, yes, it is. I, you know, I don't think if it's if it's this, if you have a Second Amendment right to to keep and bear arms. Uh, how can it just be taken away because you have this temporary restraining order against you? Um, and we all know that that um, a, a lot of uh, um, these restraining orders come out of, um, uh, you know, contentious divorce or custody proceedings. Yes, and red flag laws, which are atrocious and which uh, somebody who could make a phone call and say that they're afraid of somebody because they have it in for them with no due process whatsoever. So you can make charges against people if you wanted, and there would be no due process, and that couldn't that possibly uh, contribute to someone's um, getting caught in a web? I mean, we want, uh, we want people who are guilty of crimes to be prosecuted, no doubt, but today we're seeing a real confusion of the justice system. What do you think? Yeah, well, you know, yes, um, and that is, um, that's that's a real problem when you haven't even been convicted of a crime. Like, it's one thing, federal law says if you've been convicted of felony, uh, you you don't have the right to, you you forfeit your right to bear arms. Now, I think that that's a dubious law uh, in itself, but, you know, that's one thing. At least someone has done something to... To, to have this punishment and, for, and forfeit their Second Amendment rights. But when all you have a, a restraining order against you because of, you know, you, maybe you, you're alleged to have hit your wife or she's alleged to have hit you or whatever. That, that, but it hasn't been adjudicated in court. Right. You haven't right. been adjudicated um, and found yeah. guilty. And uh-huh. that, that strikes me as, as fundamentally unfair. Yeah. So. You know, I hope the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court's been doing the right thing on guns for the last few for a while. Uh, years. So, um, you know, I, Matthew, I think they're, they're going to do the right thing here. But I hope you know, so. Fingers are I crossed. Hope so. Well, I look forward to talking to you throughout the session about that and other things. Matthew Vadum from the Epic Times. We so appreciate having you at our access when you come on. And we we love your work. So thank you, Matthew. Keep it up. Thanks. Anytime. Our pleasure. My pleasure. Well, that about does it for this edition of Spouting Off. Tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern live and at my website, KarenKathleen.com, when there will be so much more to spout off about here on Spouting Off.